Welcome to Coffee and Capital, brought to you today by Two Smith IQ and Two Smith Capital. Now here's your host, Two Smith CEO Jeremy Smith. Welcome back, everybody. Today's episode, episode sixteen. We're going to learn today how to tread the thin line between tax minimization and then having the maximization of available cash to do an SBA loan. On today's episode, I have the homie, I have the ace, George O'Shane from TGA Capital. George, say hello to everybody. Hello, hello. Appreciate your invite to come and shed some light on uh, a very crucial strategy. Awesome. So, George, for people that don't know you, can you give a quick background about TGA Financial, yourself, your qualifications? so that people can kind of know a little bit where you're coming from. Okay. I appreciate that, Jeremy. I've been uh, doing taxes and preparing taxes for about 10 years now with TG Financial. It's based out of uh, Dallas, Texas, now just recently relocated to Arizona, but I've handled everything from small business uh, tax returns to even just your typical husband, wife, W-2, or a single parent, or just a sole proprietor running his, his or her own business. But with the changes in taxation, I've always had to be abreast with every single change that goes on, you know, from Congress all the way down when it comes to taxes. So having the opportunity to work with the two Smith has allowed me to realize different strategies that can be used as far as taxation goes, but also to allow individuals access to funding whenever they need to. Awesome. So as you guys know, George is super qualified. He actually knows how to do this the right way. But George, our listeners, we want to dive into this really good. So most small businesses are applying for SPA finances, whether it be from Two Smith, whether it be from their home bank, just applications are going out there for SPA capital. We understand that. So when you apply for SPA capital, the bank usually reviews your personal and your business tax returns. From my recollection, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the bank looks at historical net taxable income. You get credit for that. They also give you credit for depreciation. They give you credit for interest expense. It's in some degrees, they'll give you credit for rent expense. And then they take that number and they add it back to your bottom line as taxable. And it allows our customers or SBA applicants in general to afford a new loan. Given that TGE understands IRS rules, tax rules, we also know that a lot of businesses could get more money if they understood the the role of, hey, I need to look great for Uncle Sam, but I need to be able to show a bank from tax data that I can understand this. So I'm set up as a sole proprietor, but maybe I should be as an S-Corp because I'm getting, I'm getting the same deductions, but I'm not showing enough cash available. So in this episode, I want you to kind of explain from your perspective, being a tax professional with your experience with TGE, how can we maximize our ability to show that we're lendable to banks by having enough cash flow available, but also the way we're set up from a sole proprietor escort to minimize taxes, oh, personally and business-wise. So can you chime in on that? Sure, definitely. So everything stems from how the 
entity is set up from the beginning. So a lot of people will go out and get a employer's identification number, which is what the text will call, the IRS will call a tax ID. Number. They'll get that, then they'll go to the state and get an LLC issued to them. But what happens is if you look at the paperwork that you get from the IRS website, once you get your EIN number, when you specify that you're an LLC or this is a corporation, there's always that question of whether it's a disregarded entity or not. Now, a lot of people don't choose to be regarded as an entity and they have the LLC pop up underneath their personal social. So what would happen is that person going in to get a loan is literally looking at his bottom line after all the deductions, after all the expenses have been taken out. So in some scenarios, you have an individual who made a hundred thousand, but wrote all 70 and decided to pay himself the rest. Well, coming from a personal guarantor standpoint, if the bank is looking for you to have a certain amount of money coming in as income, then they'll probably not qualify for the type of loan that they're looking for, because now all they can represent is the number, the bottom line number that comes from filing their sole proprietor taxes. Well, if on the onset, they had decided to choose to be regarded as a small corporation, which is typically known as an escort. What happens is you and your business stand separately when the IRS looks in. So you'll file business taxes for your corporation. And then what happens is you get a K-1 because you are a shareholder of your business. And that K-1 is what you could determine is your pay for the year. So yes, you made a hundred thousand. You're going to take a salary of 40. And from that, you're also showing a few expenses. So yes, your business brought in a hundred thousand, but you as an employee of your business or a major shareholder also shows an income of 40,000. Now, as far as minimizing taxation, as a sole proprietor, taxes, the tax rate may go up to about 35%, give or take. Now, as a small corporation, you do pay payroll taxes, but it's not as high as 35%. So you're really saving on the, on the tax liability. Yeah. So George, it's funny you say the tax and liability. So for, for everyone that's following this, we're saying if you convert from a sole proprietor to an S-Corp, you might go from 36 to like 28, maybe like 26%, depending upon income. But that net difference in what you're saving in taxes, that's just additional income back to the bottom line, right? That's correct. So if we're following that and we have it, how do how do we elect to be an S-Corp? How do we change that process over for our listening audience that might not understand it? Well, so a lot of times you get that option when you first uh, set up your LLC or um, your sole proprietorship when you are going through the IRS website or some people go through legal soon. There's a few ways you can actually elect to do a late election, but you have to explain that to the IRS and give credible explanation as far as why you're choosing to do so late in the game. There are some thresholds that you can't go beyond. But that's one way is to elect, but is to have the IRS give that late election. So, so, when, so when you say elections to our listening audience, when you say elections, is there a form? What's the name of the form that they file? Like, is there a reason that's applicable? And then how is this, this election form 
documented. So can you elaborate on how that works? Yeah. So essentially when, when you do get your EIN, there's a form, I believe it's the 8332. And I see those all often. And that sometimes will allow you, it's either 8332 or 8553. That's just how many forms that uh, the IRS has. And so that gives you the opportunity to switch it from just being a typical disregarded entity to a small corporation, right? So you fill that form. In, in some cases, it'll go through it and it'll ask you to whether this is a late election or are you doing it concurrently with the fact that you are trying to start a new business. So when you got that figured out, then you mail in the 2553 with the explanation of why you're choosing to elect yourself as a, like you want to be regarded as a S-Corp at this point in the game. It could be because you're, the, the scope of the business has grown. You want to take on more partners, but you still want to maintain the exclusivity of being, you know, an LLC outrightly. And so, go ahead. So just so our, our listening audience is clear, if you're an LLC or a partnership, you use form 8832 because you want to be- 2553. I'm 2553. Yep. 2553 is for LLCs that want to be taxed as an S-Corp. Correct. If you are a sole proprietor and you be taxed as a corporation, then you'll use the 8832. If you're a sole proprietor once you become a C-Corp, so you, so you can elect the 2553 and be treated as an S-Corp, a sole member S-Corp, correct? Yes. Um, there is, as far as uh, small corporations, I think the limit of members or shareholders is, is 100. So anything underneath that, you can still be treated as a small corporation. Nice. So what we're saying is that you are a small business. You're applying for this loan. You originally started the application where you had a 1040 Schedule C, you had this taxation on your net bottom line at 36%. You were just shy of getting approved. But if you said, hey, you know what? Scratch my application. We started the SBA application again where we showed taxable income. We elected in a 2553 where we decided to be an S-Corp as the LLC was. So now we have a cheaper tax bracket on the net. We actually have cash available as the profit on top of paying ourselves. So we show more global income. We have more depreciation. We have more interest expense. We have a bottom line net income back to the income that we take ourselves as a K-1. So we're showing more cash available to do the loan. So George, are we saying the exact same thing? Yes, absolutely. So basically the S-Corp is passed through taxation. The, the difference is you want your LLC looked at as a corporation, right? Yes, you can um, be, you're, as, as a sole proprietor, everything happens at the level of, okay, I made $100,000, I'm being taxed 35% on $100,000. Typically with corporations is you get taxed on what's left. And so, yes, you do, and your pass through taxation is also what's left as far as expenses. So if you paid yourself 40,000 and you took your taxes out of that, guess what? You actually get a W-2 from your business, which is, which is what you want to do. I mean, if you're 
profitable and then you are trying to scale up, then the IRS expects you to pay yourself a reasonable salary. So banks also, for the listeners, they want to see that, all right, look, this ain't no fly-by-night business. You're running the real business here. You want to be like, look, I took salary. I'm profitable. I have this going on. I'm scaling. This is not a sole proprietor. Let me just show my hustle and schedule C. This is like, look, we have employees. We pay general salary wages, including myself. We have 941s, and we are growing. So this whole process right now, would you say we put some respect on our name? You have to. I mean, it's well and good to, to scream on the mountaintop that you have an LLC, but how do you show that you're profitable at the same time? How do you minimize exactly how much is probably being paid to all the sound? Now, we're, we're not saying to avoid paying him. The thing is, you want to make sure that you're utilizing the tax code to the best of your ability to minimize just how much you may be paying out. If you are correctly categorized and your entity is correctly set up, then yes, of course, the, the full tax code is at your disposal. And also, too, while we have the viewers on the line and we're, we're chatting and by the way, this is, everyone, this is awesome. Appreciate the knowledge, George. So we actually might be able to do more for our viewers by with this strategy, because if they're in states like Florida, Tennessee, maybe Texas, there's no federal income tax on some of these or state income tax. So the cash available might be even hotter, right? That's true. Cool. So, would it be advantageous taking this strategy, reelecting, and then having a registered agent or domicile in a state that doesn't have state income tax? Yes, I mean, if that's if that's ultimately the goal, of course, you've got people that always choose to have their corporation domiciled in Nevada because of whatever uh, tax advantages that provides, or in other states that are more favorable to, I guess, the business that they're in. So in bed, those are things that you definitely want to take into consideration. I also would suggest that prior to actually going to get that application going for an SBA, sit with an actual tax advisor who will look at the strategies because it's one thing to get your taxes prepared. It's another thing to actually have tax strategy behind the, the growth and the flow of your business because in some scenarios, you may want to create a holding company because of the different business ventures you're looking to get into in the future. Now, that's a totally different conversation as far as being able to grow and scale and still appreciate the benefit of the full tax code behind you. Nice. So for all everyone that's listening, you can DM George directly on that in a few minutes and he'll give you a contact on that. But flipping back, to the conversation, George, what are some red flags by doing this strategy that we can avoid that Uncle Sam might keep us off the radar or, or trigger a radar audit alert to Uncle Sam? Well, I mean, one of the one of the things that stands out is paying yourself a reasonable uh, salary and paying yourself reasonably once you do decide to become an escort. A lot of people do that and uh decide that they're just going to pay themselves $10,000. Well, if you're making 250K and you say that you held down a position company, it's got to be reasonable. So basically you can't say that you are the managing director of your company, but you're making $10,000 when in the real world, the managing director might be making 
60, 70, but you know, all depending on the size of the company and exactly what they do. So that is one of the most obvious questions when, yeah, when they say, okay, sure, you're taking a salary. What are you paying yourself? My, your, com your company's making three, $400,000, but oh, okay. So you're only taking a 10. Hmm. You know, yeah. Not, not question. You look, yeah. You don't even look real at that point. Right. Exactly. So it's funny you say that businesses, when they're evaluated for the NSP capital, going back to the red flag of like properly paying yourself. So would you not agree to banks want to see a real salary? If you were the owner of an LLC and you had real salary wages on your, your S corp on the, the general administrative expenses, pretty much on the tax return. So in addition to that, would you also say, can you touch on the amendment process? Let's say we do all this, we reelect, we have it. We're trying to close out our loan. What's the general guidelines of how long it's going to take to actually get these transcripts posted so we can close out a loan with the SBA, knowing that amendments that can be done electronically, but for loans to close, tax transcripts have to post. So can you touch on how tax transcript posts in reference to going with this strategy? Well, if you choose to amend your taxes because something popped up where you spoke to your tax advisor and he gave you a different strategy and uh, it looked like it's something that can be employed for the, the previous tax year you're filing. That's only if you've already filed the taxes. So like right now we're filing 2022 taxes. If a client was to approach you and say, hey, well, you know what? I didn't know I could file as a S Corp. Is it possible to file an amendment or show that, hey, you know what? I already filed and I, and I paid myself 10 when I really paid myself 15 and I'm okay with the, the differences in the tax liability, but I was actually set up as an S corp. I just never knew I could file as one. Well, when you go through the amendment process with your tax professional, it's imperative to understand that as much as it may be, sometimes they will let you know that it takes about eight to 12 weeks before it is fully processed. And it could take longer just depending on who the IRS has on that task as far as getting the amendments done. So while going for an SBA loan and, and knowing that, hey, I've got a strategy, then I could definitely get a little bit more capital. I'm more lendable with this strategy. It's great to understand that your loan may not close in 45 to 60 days because of this. And so going in, don't expect a miracle and, and expect to be funded in 45 to 60 days when the amendment's going to take eight weeks to 12. So you're looking at a 90 day plus window when it comes down to it. So even though we might be waiting a little bit, George, we're going to get the loan right. We're going to maximize out the loan correctly, but we're also going to make sure that we can take care of our clients as far as what they owe, but still make them look the prettiest to the bank. Correct? That's it. Being lendable, I guess, is still the ultimate goal. Now, not, not, saying that no, we're not worried about how we represent it to Uncle Sam, but uh, if you are correctly put together as an entity, then you, you know, don't necessarily have to worry about being or, or re neglecting Uncle Sam's requirements. You pay Caesar what is due to Caesar, but um, at the same time, we don't necessarily want to overpay when there's actual scenarios that we could go through that could minimize how much we pay. Awesome. So 
What are some quick takeaways that we can give our listener audience before we wrap it up? I would say definitely get with your tax professional. Find out how you are set up as an entity. If there's any way you could uh, change that, your taxation and how you regard it, whether it's an S-Corp or if, if you've got multiple companies and one is a holding company, you may want to start thinking about how to leverage partnerships even within the structure of your, the core business. That is definitely one thing I would suggest prior to going out to get a loan. And having your tax professional really look at what the lending principles will, will work down to because sometimes showing uh, as little income is more detrimental to your business than is actually helpful. It's helpful to the personal as far as taxation and having to pay a whole lot in taxes, but in the in the overall lifeline of the business, it's uh, it it really shrinks capitalization, if I if I can say that. Cool. So, the takeaways we're getting from this episode today, on episode sixteen, walking the thin line, is that make sure you're set up right. Talk to the CPA. Talk to someone like George Shane at TG Financials. Talk to your homeboy Jeremy Smith at Two Smith Capital and the crew. Be informed. Be informed. Be informed. That's right. I said it three times so that you guys understand this. We want to make sure you pay less, but we want to give you the biggest loan possible. We need you to sleep at night. We need you to have the right representation. George, how can people get a hold of you? They can email me, george at tgefinancial.com. Awesome. So... I appreciate you coming to the office hours. I appreciate you stopping by Coffee and Capital with your wisdom and everything else on it. And George, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please check out coffeeandcapitaltalk.com. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks.